Some people of you would like to be under the rule of the law of Moses, but do you know what the law says? In the scriptures, we learn that Abraham had two sons. The mother of one of them was a slave, while the other mother of the other one had always been free. The son of the slave woman was born in the usual way, but the, of the, but the son of the free woman was born of God's promise. My friends were children of the free woman and not of the slave. Christ has set us free. This means we're really free. Now hold on to your freedom and never become slaves of the law again. Thank you, Phineas. And before we hear the message from God's word about what it means to be brothers from the other mother, uh, let's invite our music team to come and uh, lead us once again in song. Apologies for my wife this morning. She's taken the opportunity to spend a night away with her sister. They don't get to do that very often. And so she's not here this morning. I do have two older teenage daughters who are volunteering to look after some kids through the rest of our service. Uh, they're qualified in gymnastics, but have assured me that they won't be doing anything too adventurous. Um, and so if you'd, uh, if you'd like your kids to uh, enjoy uh, their company, and I'm sure they'll do some lovely constructive things uh, with your kids, um, they're welcome to um, participate in that for the rest of our service. Already gone? Not going? As you please. One of my joys through the week, uh, apart from having the opportunity to uh, to speak with you each Sunday, is um, going into the primary and high school classrooms and uh, and teaching scripture uh, to the kids there. Uh, the joy isn't just in the teaching. Oftentimes, it's in responding to uh, the questions and hearing the stories of, of the kids who are, are present in those lessons. I had an interesting question during this week. Um, it wasn't part of the, the lesson, but just in one of the breaks uh, of the lesson, as kids went from the floor to their desks, uh, a boy came up to me and he said, um, I've heard that in the Bible it says that we should expect nothing from the Lord, but how does that then relate to us looking forward to heaven? And I said, well, that's an interesting question. Uh, I think you're right. The Bible does say that we should expect nothing from the Lord, but only in a certain circumstance. I think maybe the verse that you've heard comes from, I didn't know the reference, but James 1, 7 and 8 says, that person must not suppose that he will receive anything from the Lord. He is a double-minded man, unstable in all he does. So I said, maybe that's the verse that you've heard of, of the double-minded person who asks something of God, but then expects nothing from him. We can't be people who say that we are people of faith, and so we'll ask God things in faith, but then think that we have to go and do it ourselves. That person, the Bible does say, 
should expect nothing from the Lord. If we can't come to the Lord with faith, asking for the things that we believe that he can give us by his own word and believe that that to be true, well, then it's pointless us asking anything from the Lord. You're right. We shouldn't expect anything. But I said, you know, if we are people of faith in answer to the question, if we do trust in God for our salvation, well, then things like heaven now and, and, in the, and heaven to come, we can have full confidence in. Paul wasn't addressing a question like that of children, but he was addressing that sort of problem with believers in the church who he described as certain types of children. Essentially, he was wanting to communicate to them the same truth. You need to be people of faith to take hold of the promises of God. And unless you believe in faith that God will keep his promises, well, then the rest is futile. As we turn to the word of God, let's open our hearts in prayer. Father, we believe that your word is inspired by your spirit, that these truths are timeless, that the questions that others uh, have asked in the past, the questions that still plague us today, but that the truth and the confidence that they have in the gospel back then is, is the same truth and confidence that we can have even now. For you are the same God and you are eternal. Your love for us endures. And so we pray, Lord, that by your spirit, you would open your word to us. Speak to our hearts as you open our ears. Change us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Paul continues. Uh, we're reading Galatians 4, verse 21. Tell me, you who desire to be under the law, do you not listen to the law? What a wonderful way to address the question. You're bringing up matters of the law, and, and if, if that's your foundation, well, let me speak to you about the law. He's, he's speaking about the, the stories of, of the covenant, of their identity uh, through Abraham and Moses, and he's saying, well, let's examine these things that you've come to accept then by what the, the Bible says about them. As we've seen in the, the video just now and, uh, and heard over recent weeks, the problem in the church is that there are a, a Jewish converts or pseudo-converts who are saying it's wonderful that you want to come into the family of God. Now take on upon yourselves the mark of circumcision and, and certain requirements of the law, the celebrations and, and otherwise, and then your journey will be complete. And Paul says, no, if you begin down that path, it's a path that leads you further from God. It actually brings the gospel that you've come to believe, believe into to great doubt and greater question. And so he's going to address their, question, uh, their problem historically, saying, let's go back then and examine what does the law say about those who are to come, those who are to become a part of the, the family that God has placed upon the earth. And we will see and test whether we're part of that family or not. It is written, Abraham had two sons, one by a slave woman and one by a free woman. But the son of the slave woman was born according to the flesh, while the son of the free woman was born according to the promise. I'm going to flip back to where... Uh, to the stories that Paul's referring to, stories that are very familiar to his readers, uh, I imagine are very familiar to many of you, but let's uh, not just take that for granted. 
Genesis chapter 16 begins, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children. She had a female Egyptian servant whose name was Hagar. And Sarai said to Abram, Behold now, the Lord has prevented me from bearing children. Go into my servant. It may be that I shall obtain children by her. And Abram listened to the voice of Sarai. So after Abram had lived ten years in the land of Canaan, Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian, her servant, and gave her to Abram, her husband, as a wife. Of course, the context is that God has called Abram from the the place of his family, and he said, go to the land I will show you, and there I will give my promises to you. And so Abram, in faith, left that foreign land and traveled to the land that God showed him. And God said, look to the the north, south, east and the west. All of this land I will give you. Look to the stars in the heaven. Your descendants will be as numerous as these. I'm going to bless your name. I'm going to give you a place that you will live. And through you, I'm going to bless the nations of the earth. But 10 years they've been living there and they have no children. And the clock is ticking And so they're beginning to think, now we've heard the promises of God, we've believed them and we've in faith stepped out. But now maybe God is waiting on us to do something. What can we do? Sarai comes up with a a plan. How about we begin this family through my servant? Uh, A practice that was not uncommon in those days for producing an heir. And in verse 15, we hear that Hagar bore Abram a son. And Abram called the name of his son, whom Hagar bore, Ishmael. Abram was 86 years old when Hagar bore Ishmael to Abraham. Abram. When Abram was 99 years old, chapter 17 goes on, the Lord appeared to Abram and said, I am the Lord Almighty. Walk before me and be blameless, that I may make my covenant between me and you. And multiply you greatly. God now begins to confirm the covenant, and this chapter uh, would be one that would be so significant for the early church in, in working out, you know, is circumcision part of the requirement of the law or not? Because it's at this point now that God says, This is going to be what, what marks you and separates you from the, the, the nations around you. This will be the mark that you and your family are my people. And so Abram is, is spoken to about circumcision and circumcising his children and, and, and Ishmael is included in that. And, but it's, notice, what, 16 years later, no, 13 years later, uh, after um, Ishmael is born, that, that Abram hears from the Lord again and, and begins to confirm this covenant. But God also reveals to Abraham that this covenant and this promise it's not going to come through Ishmael though Abram's heart was for his son and and he pleaded before the Lord make make Ishmael my son the heir of of your promise God says no I'm going to do something greater for you and so much to to Abram's disbelief and and also that of, of Sarah's God visits and says I'm going to place a child Uh, I'm going to give you a child through Sarah. And so Abram, uh, the scriptures say, feeling as good as dead, uh, and his wife beyond years of conceiving are given a son and they name him Isaac. God brings laughter to the family, 
not through the plans of people aspiring to do the will of God, but by God fulfilling in the lives of people those things that he has promised to do. So Paul reminds his readers of of what has happened back in their history. This is where you're drawing your identity. These are the questions that you are forming in your minds. But I want to speak of these two sons who you know very well and, and describe them in your current context. Because those who are, are appealing to you to follow the law are saying that, that we're the sons of, of Abraham and Isaac. We're the ones who have received the promises of God. But Paul says, no. Let me speak to you about them figuratively. These women are two covenants. One is from Mount Sinai, bearing children for slavery. She is Hagar. Now, Hagar is Mount Sinai in Arabia. She corresponds to the present Jerusalem, and she is in slavery with her children. There are certain things that you look for when you look for, uh, for the rule of, of anyone. Uh, speak about a kingdom, and people are going to say, well, where is that kingdom? Uh, who is the king, and, and what are the people like? Paul begins to describe this, this rule now by the people and the place and the rule. He says there are those who, respond, who, who correspond to Hagar. They are of Mount Sinai, they are slaves, and they are the earthly Jerusalem. He's speaking of a place, of a people, and of a rule. But he's not saying that these are the nations of the earth that these are the people who are not the Jews. He says these Jewish teachers who are trying to put the the burden of, of the law upon you, they are the children of Hagar because their thinking is of earthly things. The law that they speak of came from Mount Sinai, a, a physical place. The, the people that they describe are, are people who are under the law. They are slaves to the law. And the place in which they dwell is, the, is Jerusalem, an earthly city. But the Jerusalem above is free, he says to the Galatian Christians. And she is our mother. For it is written, Rejoice, O barren one who does not bear. Break forth and cry aloud, you who are not in labor. For the children of the desolate one will be more than those of the one who has a husband. Now you, brothers like Isaac, are children of the promise. He says, let me describe Isaac for you. Because this is your identity. He is a heavenly Jerusalem. He is born in freedom. He is the fulfillment of what God said through Isaiah to Jerusalem or to to Israel, that there will come a time when I'm going to spread the curtains of the tent wide, when she who is not born will be able to bear. Isaiah is not foretelling what will happen to Sarah. That's many years before. But Paul is putting these things together, saying that Sarah produced a son because of the promise of God. And God promised to Israel that they would produce heirs, the nations of the earth. But it too would come about through the promise of God, something that God was going to do, that it would be God's work. 
And you would know the difference between God's work and the work of those who are just at work in the world because this is going to be a heavenly kingdom. The Jerusalem is heavenly. The people are of the spirit. The people are born through a promise. And so he describes the dispute. Just at that time, he who was born according to the flesh persecuted the, him who was born according to the spirit. So it is now. He's really referring back to Genesis 21.9 after the birth of Isaac. Uh, the 13-year-old Ishmael looks upon his newborn brother and despises him. And so Sarah comes to Abram and says, look, we need to send this family out. And Abram listens and, uh, well, not begrudgingly, but with a heavy heart, sends Ishmael out. He receives blessings of, of God. He receives a covenant of his own. But he needs to be separated from the one who will bear the covenant promise, Ishmael. Paul is reminding his readers of, of that separation because he's saying you need to be separated from those who are in your company who are saying we need to continue to follow the law. Because you can't continue to follow the law and enjoy the freedom that the promise brings. Separate yourselves. Some might read this and say, well, there it is, the the." Conflict that we hear going on between Israel and the Arabs today, it's, it's this struggle that's being described. And well, it might be, but that's not Paul's point. He's saying the Jewish believers and the Gentile con uh, converts cannot continue together. Not saying Jewish believers and Gentile believers cannot continue together because he said already, as we've looked at, there is now no longer Jew or Gentile, slave or free, male or female. All have come together under the grace of God. And so the true church will, will be a, a mixture of, of all of these people together celebrating the grace that God has given to them. But for those Jews who reject the truth who seek to impose the gospel again upon you, those people you are in conflict, conflict with and you must separate yourself from them as Sarah separated herself and Isaac from Hagar and Ishmael. Let me just put in a, a, a warning here. This doesn't speak to the hatred of Jews. Paul is not advocating a, a distrust or a dislike of an ethnic group. But Jews here that seek to impose the law upon them, Paul is saying, have nothing to do with them. Have nothing to do with the slavery that religion wants to, to put upon you. Let's look at another example of this just to, uh, to clarify it and put it into to better context. Turn with me to John chapter 8. We'll see that this conflict or this difficult difficulty in thinking uh, was not something only true in Galatia, uh, that it's something that predated the church uh, and will continue to be a part of uh, the struggle of the church. Uh, John 8:31, let me read. So Jesus said to the Jews who had believed him, "If you abide in my word, you are truly my disciples." 
You will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. They answered him, We are offspring of Abraham. We've never been enslaved to anyone. How is it that you say you will become free? Jesus answered them, Truly, truly, I say to you, everyone who practices sin is a slave to sin. The slave does not remain in the house forever. The son remains forever. So if the son sets you free, you will be free indeed. I know that you are the offspring of Abram, yet you seek to kill me because my word finds no place in you. I speak of what I have seen with my father, and you do what you have heard from your father. They answered him, Abraham is our father. Jesus said to them, If you were Abraham's children, you would not be doing the works that sorry, you would be doing the works that Abraham did. But now you seek to kill me, a man who has told you the truth that I heard from God. This is not what Abraham did. You are doing the works your father did. They said to him, We were not born of sexual immorality. We have one father, even God. Jesus said to them, If God were your father, you would love me. For I came to God and I am here. I came not of my own accord, but he sent me. Why do you not understand what I say? It is because you cannot bear to hear my word. Uh, it is because you, sorry, it is because you cannot bear to hear my word. You are of your father the devil, and your will is to do your father's desires. He was a murderer from the beginning and does not stand in the truth, because there is no truth in him. When he lies, he speaks out of his own character, for he is a liar and the father of lies. But because I tell you the truth, you do not believe me. Which of one of you convicts me of sin? I tell you the truth. Why do you not believe me? Whoever is of God hears the words of God. The reason why you do not hear them is that you are not of God. Now Jesus is speaking to an entirely Jewish audience. And he's saying, some of you will hear my words and believe. You will prove yourself to be descendants of Abraham because you will prove yourselves to hear the, the voice of the Father and to be obedient to it. But there are those of you here who will not hear my words. And because you will not believe, you will prove yourselves not to be the children of Abraham. See how he's, Paul is, is really just borrowing this argument that, that Jesus has already had to say that there are those who protest that they are sons of Abraham who really have nothing to do with the inheritance promised to him. But there are those who, though they are not genetically descended of Abraham, are called his true sons because they have heard of Christ, the promised one, and believed in his name. To those who the Son sets free, there will be freedom. And so Paul writes... So, brothers, we are not children of the slave, but of the free woman. For freedom Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. Now, I know sometimes when I make references to movies, the movie buffs here go, yes, I know exactly what you're describing. And those who aren't um, kind of go, I'm not sure uh, that I hear exactly what you're saying, but um, I'm willing to, to listen. For the movie, movie buffs, I think when you begin to, to enter into chapter 5 of, of Galatians, 
You hear the word freedom in Mel Gibson's best Scottish in, uh, accent with a guttural scream. Freedom. In the movie, he represents the Scotsman William Wallace, who was a free man who refused to submit himself to the rule of the English Empire. And he was giving up his life. He was stretched out on a, on a wooden um, pallet and he was being killed for leading a rebellion against those who would impose upon the Scots the English rule. And he cries out that word freedom as Paul writes it in his letter. It's for freedom that you have been set free. Those who have been freed by God are free indeed. So don't submit yourselves again to the yoke of slavery. There might be English overlords who have been given power, sorry, Scottish overlords who have been given the, the power from England to rule you, but, but are they really your rulers? You who are men of the mountains and, and men of the country, stand upon the freedom that has always been yours. Paul writes to the Galatians and says, You've been given freedom. Now stand in that freedom. There is much still that wants to enslave us. Scripture elsewhere speaks of sin that wants to enslave. For those who have been freed from the lifestyle of, of sin and, and adulterous relationships, uh, adulterous lifestyles, for them to return back to those things after receiving the grace of God is to return like a, a dog to its vomit. Here the danger is that we might enshrine ourselves with rule-keeping and religious observance so that we might conform our lives to, to look like we, we belong to God through religious endeavour and, and zealous pursuit of, of those things that will, will give us the air of holiness. We think that we might be able to, uh, to, to look like uh, the people of God. But Paul says, in the same way, those things lead to slavery. You give yourself to sin, it will enslave you. Give yourself to rule keeping and the, the matters of the law, it will enslave you. Let us not try and replace the work of the Spirit with human effort. Let's not, as Sarah did, Wonder at why we're waiting 10 years or 15 years or 25 years for God to fulfill his promises to us and find some other way to do it. Let's trust the promise and the spirit of God. Let's wait upon him. And if God has promised he will do it, watch and let him do it. You know well the verse John 3.16. I wonder if you know what comes before. Or, more importantly, who came before? John chapter 3 begins with Jesus at night in a dwelling place. And one who, for fear of the Jews, came to speak to him. His name was Nicodemus. He said, Rabbi, we know that you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do these signs unless God is with him. And Jesus answered him, Truly, truly, I say to you, no one who... Uh, Sorry. Unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. 
Nicodemus said to him, How can a man be born when he is old? Can he enter again into his mother's womb and be born? Jesus says, Truly, truly, I say to you, unless one is born of water and the Spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the Spirit is the Spirit. Maybe here this morning you feel a little bit like Nicodemus. You've been in church circles a long time. You know what the Bible says and you know the things that it promises for our life, but you're just not experiencing them the way that Jesus describes them. You hear of freedom. You hear of peace and joy and the love of God flowing over your life, but but still there's a question that remains. I know that Jesus is from God, but, but it just doesn't quite make sense to me. Jesus says, it's not good enough just to be born of water. You need to be born also of the Spirit. Flesh gives birth to flesh, spirit to spirit. Do not marvel at what I say to you when I say that you must be born again. The wind blows where it wishes you hear its sound, but you do not know where it comes from or where it goes. So it is with one born of the Spirit. How can these things be, Nicodemus says. Jesus marvels, are you the teacher of Israel and you don't understand these things? You speak of what you know and bear witness to what you've seen, but you do not receive our testimony. I've told you of earthly things and you do not believe. How can you believe in the heavenly things? Again, like Paul says, there are people who are of the earthly Jerusalem and those who are of the heavenly one. No one has ascended into heaven except he who descended from heaven, the Son of Man. And as Moses lifted up the servant in the wilderness, so must the Son of Man be lifted up, that whoever believes in him may have eternal life. Not whoever fulfills the covenant, not ever him who who turns himself to religious effort or takes upon himself this regulation or the, or that duty but he who believes has eternal life because the son of man has been lifted up the guilt of your sins has been paid for in full by Christ and his suffering for you you don't have to make up for for those mistakes with, with religious effort. Your life is not hanging in the balance. The debt has been paid for all who believe. For God so loved the world that he gave his only son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Do not marvel that you must be born again. Do not marvel that, that the yoke of, of slavery has been taken from you. Do not marvel that God calls us to be people of the Spirit. For this is his work. We're going to close with a song that starts with these words. My faith has found a resting place, not in device or creed, I trust the ever-living one. His wounds for me shall plead. Paul is painting for us a picture of, of grace. 
He's painting for us a picture of a a heavenly Jerusalem that, that we are the citizens of. An identity of freedom that is paid for us through the blood of Christ. If that is not a freedom that you know and enjoy, cast off the burden of religious expectation. Cast off the shame and guilt of your past sin. Come to God. Receive forgiveness from him. Become adopted as a child of God and live in that freedom. I need no other argument. I need no other plea. It's enough that Jesus died, that he died for me. Let us pray. Lord Jesus, on a, on a human level, I guess we see the difficulty of, of this argument. How can we know what's freedom and what's slavery, who we belong to, how we're identified? But Lord, you really make it simple for us. It doesn't matter our race, our background, our family, our gender, our ethnicity, you have died for all that you would bring us to God. Lord, forgive us for the things that we have tried to do that, that would replace the holiness that you offer us with a holiness of our own. Lord, we lay before you our efforts to accomplish that which you have already promised. And we thank you for the freedom that you offer to us. Freedom from the guilt of sin. Freedom from the burden of slavery. We cry out in our struggle. Freedom. A freedom won for us. Wash us by your blood. Turn our eyes to heaven. And lift our feet that in joy we would walk in following you. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.